We have a superstar in our midst, good man. Um, so Ephesians, we're uh, we're back into this letter. We um, last uh, last Sunday, we um, in preparation for our midweeks, we talked about the uh, we talked about the ascension, the importance of a good theology around the ascension. Um, that uh, that Jesus right now is at the right hand of God, not a geographical location, but it's a, a place of supreme authority, ultimate authority. He is uh, filling all things with himself. It's his desire to fill the universe with himself. And it's his desire, and it's, that's what we're talking about on our Wednesday nights. That's what we're discussing, how we uh, can better partner with him and seeing the universe filled with the glory and the knowledge of Jesus. Um, so it was two weeks ago, it was two weeks ago that we were, um, we started Ephesians chapter five, and uh, we just looked at the first couple of verses, and um, we couldn't get any further than that because I got distracted making a Rice Krispie cake, um, if you just remember, um, with Jada's help. So uh, we are, we're gonna look at, um, we're gonna try and look at the first um, 20 verses first 20 verses of Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. And uh, and then just so you know where we're going, next next week, as Lila has said, we're, we'll, we're not gathered. The week after that, um, we'll look at uh, this section around relationships with one another, um, wives and husbands and children's and parent, children and parents. And then the week after that, Rick Hill will be with us, who... Um, who we've just completed the study of his book, and so Rick will be with us on the 19th. And then we'll finish the series with uh, the end part of Ephesians 6, which is the armor of God on the last Sunday in June. So that's, that's where we're going. Six months we've been in this letter, and, um, and I hope it has been as helpful for you as it's been for me. Be imitators of God is what um, Paul was encouraging the church in Ephesus. And as we said, I think it's important to point out here, what we, what we shared on Wednesday night, I think it, it, it remains really important that we keep saying it. This, as Marcus Bart said, this is a, the, if Ephesians was a constitutional document of the church. Um, so their way of life was fueled in, and informed um, by this letter. Their, their, their way of life was fueled and informed by this, the ever-relevant command, no matter what changes, no matter how much time has passed, the relevant command remains the same, to love as he loved us. We talked on that two, two weeks ago. It was a feet, it's a feet on the ground type of love that we are talking about. It can be really easy to say, I love you without actually going to the trouble of doing it. It's a feet on the ground, getting your hands dirty, messy, awkward type of love. And it, it was the way of life that fueled and informed the, the church right from the beginning. And we quoted Richard Niebuhr on Wednesday night, and I want to do that again this morning. Uh, the great Christian revolutions, he said, came not by the discovery of something that was not known before, they happen when someone takes radically something that was always there. And so this letter, this letter is so important to us because it was written to various churches, but it was for, uh, for all time. We've mentioned before that Paul was, had, had written letters to the Galatians, to the Corinthians, to the Thessalonians. 
It was all quite contextual. It was all addressing a particular issue within the community, within the community of faith. And, uh, and it's, not that we've not, it's not that we don't have loads to learn from these letters, but this is fundamental. The letter of Ephesus was fundamental for all churches, for all types of denominations, and my suggestion was and continues to be for all time. And so, the, so, so we, on Wednesday night, looking at the fivefold ministry of the church, we're not, we're not trying to discover something that was not known before. We're trying to go back and recognize and take hold of, take hold of something, and take hold of it radically, something that was always there. And so what has always been there, the, what Jesus condensed, Jesus condensed everything into this command to love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul had clearly caught that. And so much of his letter is, is about love. So much of his letter, even that prayer that he prayed, right in the center of this letter is really, really important to that we would know this deep, agonizing prayer that he prays, that you would know the height, the breadth, the depth, that how, how he loves you. Um, that you would discover that, you would know that. And our response to be, would be that we would then love as he loved. To love as he loved. It is the way, as Andy Stanley said in a message that Neville shared with us during the week, to love as he loved, that is the bridge between our differences. That is the bridge between our disagreements when we love as he loved. And I'm aware that there's kids in the room, and so we're not going to dwell on this, but that, so after Paul says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He then goes on, he takes this opportunity to warn us, to warn the church against the corruption of love. The corruption of love when it is reduced, when it is reduced to sex, reduced to love without relationship, to love without love. And Paul here for a moment passionately warns against the corruption of love. Love without relationship is what Paul is speaking of in these few verses here. Um, so, so while we're while we're thinking of going back, we're we're talking about we've been talking about going back to the to this letter and what Paul is saying here as being fundamental, foundational to what it is to follow Jesus, what it is to. Uh, to be part of the church. Um, and, so, and so while we're thinking of going back, we could go, even, we could go back even further as we consider the, the perfect love, as we consider the purity of love, and we go back to how we were created, created in the image of God. Every one of us in this room, we're united around that. Uh, so obviously, look around the room and different backgrounds, different cultures, different beliefs, different understandings, but one thing that, that has and will always unite us is that we are created in the image of God. And, and so to say it another way, we are created in the image of the one who is love. At the core of who he is, his very being, how he's defined as 
love. We are created in the image of the one who is love. We are created to be people who love. We are created to be people who receive love. And this is, this is 101, like this is stuff that you know. But I want to just keep reminding you anyway. Because <laughs> when we love as he loved us, when we love this, this radical, other-centered, other-oriented type of love, uh, we are most truly ourselves. We're made in the image of the one who is love. When we love like he loves, that is when we are most truly ourselves. That is when we are at our very best. That is when we are at our most mature. So much of this series has been around about going deeper, about um, pulling our roots further, being deeper and mature in love in Christ. And when we love as he loved, we are most truly ourselves. We are at our best and we are at our most mature. The challenge with all of this is that is when we are at our best. But on the other side, it is also the place where we make the most mistakes. Well, I am. That's the case for me. I feel like when I love well, when I love as he loved, that's what I feel at my, at my best, at my most mature but it's also the place where I know and I recognize it's when I make the most mistakes. The incompetence at times of loving well. And so I, th I think there's, there's, many, there's many different rabbit trails we could go down here. And I don't want to make anybody feel guilty. I don't want to do that to, for my, do, to myself. I don't want to stand here in any sort of shame. But I think one of the mistakes... One of the mistakes that we sometimes make is thinking that, that of love, uh, love as a skill that can be improved on. Love can be improved on or it is something that can be learnt from a book. And there's a part of me, because you know I love reading, there's a part of me really frustrated saying that because I, I wish that I could love better by reading another book. I'd love somebody would write the perfect book that I could read it and understand it and I would mature and grow in love. And that's what we can do, whether it's, whether it's in this conversation or, or any topic I think we could think about. Sometimes in our hurry to achieve, in our rush to get a job done, in our hurry to live in love, we think, think, I think, if I read enough books, I'll read as much books as I can and then I'll be ready to put it into action. Sometimes that's really frustrating because I think I sort of believe that this is a skill that I can improve on. I can read enough books and then I'm ready to put it into action. And that's not always the case because the feet on the ground type of love, there's no manual for it, I don't think. <laughs> there's no manual for this like feet in the ground type of love because it is so much more messy and unpredictable and awkward than we could possibly imagine. And maybe I'm not selling this, this, this way of life. Maybe I'm not selling this living in love very well, but I don't know if there's another way to talk about it. And so we could talk about, we could talk about 
fostering. You could talk about whatever, whatever you're involved in. And the reality is it's feet in the ground type of love and it is so much more messy and awkward and complicated that we, than we could possibly have thought. And that's the truth. There's no amount of books that I could read that's going to help me to put living as Christ loved into action. And maybe this is in my mind. Maybe this is what I've been thinking about because I've been so conscious this week of um, Caleb and Eli and, and even Daniel have been, has been, doing, they've been doing exams this week. And, uh, and there's times where that's caused heads to butt in the house, as maybe many know uh, who have been there and done that before. Um, my, my head never butted with my parents because I just always did my revision when I was told, boys. Um, but maybe this has been in my mind because as they've been doing their exams, uh, I've been in there revising and they're studying, there's a part of me gets frustrated there's part of me relates almost at times to their frustration because it's just about, because you want to ask them questions. You want to, like, you want to, to pull it out of them. You want to ask them in a different way or you want to make sure they've understood it. But all they're worried about is that they've, they've remembered it. All they need to worry about is that they've read it and they just need to remember the right words in the right order to pass the test. If they remember the right words in the right order, they'll be able to pass their exams. And sometimes I think I've done that, and sometimes I think we can be guilty of doing that when it comes to faith, when it comes to living in love. It can so easily become a book, I love this book, I love it so much, <laughs> but it can become a book language rather than a living language. And so you wanna delve a bit further whenever you're reading or studying or just living this life, you wanna be able to be to be questioned and pushed and see if you've got it. Just reading it off a page in order to say the right words in the right place. And sometimes that's what our, and I'd be cautious here, because I don't want to criticize people who evangelize, but sometimes it can just be about r repeating the right words in the right order and getting somebody to follow through a process because that's what we've read in a book. But again, it's more complicated than that. It's more messier and awkward than that. It can be so impersonal when it's um, when we treat this idea of living in love in the same way that we possibly can treat um, doing our exams and learning enough to uh, to pass a test. I'm longing that that becomes so much more personal, becomes so much more alive that when I'm asked about faith, when I'm asked what it is to love as Christ loved, they don't have to recall the right words in the right order from this book, but it's just so alive in me. It's just living. The language is that I'm living, it's, it's looking for fluency, I guess. And the language of love, and that sounds a bit cheesy, doesn't it? But in some ways, that's what I think I'm trying to say. And I, and I love where Paul goes. I love the language that he uses. It sounds a wee bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Um, when he says here in Matthew chapter, or in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I find myself just over and over again this week just reminding myself of that verse. Like I, have a, I haven't read loads this week. 
have been have just been here in Ephesians five, but it's been that one verse that I've had to remind myself over and over again. That's like that's what he sees. The Father looks upon us, those of us made in his image. He see, he looks, he says, You are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. And, and again, as I said, that it's uh, reminiscent of what Jesus speaks over us and Ma- over the church, over us in Matthew 5. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Now go and let your light shine. Don't hide it. Let it shine. Um, now you're light. Live as children of light. <clears throat> and so I think what we're, that's what it looks like. To, that's what it means to live as children of light, to love as he loved. As a, as, a, as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I suppose this morning I would really simply and want to be talking about love and I want to be talking about worship from this, these few verses. I know I haven't read it all. I would encourage you um, sometime this afternoon that you would go and read over these verses for yourself. You maybe see things differently. You maybe see things that I've missed and that's the joy of being able to work this out together not one of us is all of the revelation and it's why the, the mind of Christ is in the body of Christ and, and that's why I love our Wednesday nights because we get to discover this all together so I encourage you to read this read these first 20 verses of Ephesians 5 but for me I just was as I read over it I just couldn't help but think about love obviously I couldn't help but think then of worship as it came to um, verse 14. Um, verse 13 says, Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. And this is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I just thought of like our, 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 how worship requires our full attention. I felt like this line, I felt like this phrase, this is why it said, wake up, O sleeper. I don't want to share from this verse. There's times I've heard people share from this verse and I've come away feeling like really, really condemned, really bad. And I don't want to feel like that this morning. Um, not that it's not a bad thing to feel convicted or feel challenged, that I'm, I'm not saying that. But I wanted you to hear this, wake up, O sleeper. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, discover what you were created for. Stuff that has been laying dormant, the dormancy that is, that is within you, wake up and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And I, I can't help but think it's worship that requires our full attention. It is worship that is this fragrant offering and sacrifice to God as, uh, as Paul talks about in the first couple of verses of Ephesians 5. And it was worship, worship if we were to go back, we could just keep going back over story over story in the New Old Testament and see worship being always, it was always an act of the people. In the Old Testament, they gathered and they offered their sacrifices. They, off, they brought their offerings to God as an, as an act of worship and it was an act of the people. And we've talked loads about love over this, over this, looking at this letter, as I've already said, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, um, the idea of speaking the truth to one another in love in Ephesians 4. Um, which we've talked loads about love, and, and I think it's, it's important to say that worship is a fundamental practice 
uh, of love. Worship is a fundamental practice of love, and it's maybe we need to do it more, but it's part of why we want to gather in a, uh, in a couple of weeks' time and just worship and say to the church, come on, guys, just wake up. Let's wake up and rise. Worship that requires our full attention and, and it is fundamental to the practice of love. It's not a solitary act. Love is not a solitary act. It is always relational. Uh, love is not a general act. It is always local. Love is not self-defined. I think it's important to pause just a moment because that, it's one of the things that frustrates me so much is whenever people talk to, to each other whatever way they want, whether it's out in the streets or within, within family or whatever, and, and try to pass it off as love. That's self-defined, if you ask me. But love is not self-defined. It is always as Christ loved us. And so when we're talking about this worship that requires our full attention, if we're talking about how we mature in love, it is relational and it's local and it is the way of Christ. And as Paul uh, says, um, encourages us, as we're working all of this out, as we're working out how we love as he loved us, as we're, as we're waking it up, as we're giving our full attention to worship, um, he then tells us to speak, be filled with the Spirit, and speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we go to church, which is relational, it's local, it's encouraging us to, 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 to love and live in the way of Christ. We go to church, we come and we gather in, the, in places like this in order to worship the God who first loved us. That's important to say. Again, it seems really obvious. We're here ultimately to worship the God who first loved us. And the idea of worship and the, the, the whole concept of worship, it feels that there's times it's always at risk because the reality is con consumers are always shopping for the best. And that's, like, that's part of that is natural. And I'm not, I'm not saying I, I'm, I'm, I'm up and want to promote mediocrity, but I am just wanting to, to us to be aware that worship is continually at risk. And there's times of that we can compromise at the expense of wanting to, to, uh, to put on our best performance. Whether it's, whether it's singing, whether it's me speaking, whether it's the kids' stuff, whatever it is, people want to know how good your kids' stuff is. People want to know how slick your band is. People want to know how charismatic your preacher is. And so I, I say that because it's, it always, it's always at risk. And I heard somebody say that, that the church is not a performing art center for worship and love. And please still hear me say, whenever it comes to, to singing, when it comes to our kids, when it comes to our speaking, I'm not wanting mediocrity. Please don't hear that. But I do want to go to where I've already been this morning. I think if we want to embrace a spirit-formed church or a spirit-forming church, we must embrace 
messiness. We must embrace the complexity of relationships. We must, we, we're going to have to embrace all of the tensions and all of the awkwardness because I am convinced that those are the conditions where the Holy Spirit is working. Just that desire to, to unite, to unite the church and he, and he unites us in the midst of tension, in the midst of mess, in the midst of complexity. And so I'm not, please don't hear me say, I'm not wanting not pursuing mediocrity in some strange way, but I am suggesting, and I think it's true, that as the Spirit forms us and is forming us, it means it's going to, it's not always going to be slick. It's not always going to be as amazing as I am on a Sunday morning. Um, it's just not. And so as we, we, as we consider what it is to, to be maturing in Christ, it's a feet on the ground type of love. And I say that from a practical point of view. It's feet on the ground in the midst of the complexities and all of that. But it's also a feet on the ground. And maybe this will only work in Northern Ireland because we talk about that a lot, don't we? We, wanna, we don't like people getting too far ahead of themselves. We want to keep their feet on the ground. And so, but I do say it in the positive sense. We want to keep our feet in the ground practically as we mature and love one another and our community well. But we want to keep our feet on the ground in humility as we, as we walk in humble obedience to the one who is forming us uh, and leading us and loving us. And so the guys are going to come back up and, and, and lead us in one more song. But when it comes to love... And when it comes to worship, it is not a matter of us doing more for God. I don't think these are necessarily skills that we can perform. It's, whether it's love or worship, it is not a matter of doing more for God. It is God and it is allowing God. It is abandoning ourselves as an offering and as a sacrifice to God doing more in and through us. So um, so the guys are going to come and lead us, and then Lila will pray for us to finish.